Hello, everyone. Welcome to Community. My name is Aaron. Our scripture passage today is Luke 14, 12 to 24. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. Thank you, Aaron. Well, in just a minute, we're going to dismiss children to Children's Church. I want to begin the way we did a few weeks ago where we had just a quick discussion with where you're sitting at. We talked about Sunday best a few weeks ago. We've got Thanksgiving around the corner. So just take a minute and say the food you're most excited to eat. Uh, and it's okay to feel very passionately about it. Others may be wrong in what they choose. So just tell the person you're sitting with what you hope to eat. I'm going to also dismiss the children ages 4 through 5th grade. Carolyn's in the back. So children ages 4 through 5th grade. All right. Well, you all stopped as all the kids get ran out. If you didn't say sweet mashed sweet potatoes... If you didn't say smash sweet potatoes with toasted marshmallows, crust, with also oatmeal cookie crust, it's like both, then you're wrong. Um, But Jesus loves you anyway, so. Our passage this morning is about a feast and joy and celebration and people eating together. So we don't often start with little discussions, but I I wanted kind of our spiritual taste buds to be stirred. as we think about what it would mean to feast with Jesus. So uh, let me say a short prayer and we'll dive into this passage together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would do just that, that you would stir uh, our spiritual taste buds for you. Lord, for a feast in the kingdom. And Lord, I pray that our life now here would be marked by the kind of generosity and other focusedness that that we receive from you in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians believe that Jesus was born and he lived and he died and he rose 
And he ascended to the throne of the universe where he, where he sits. So it's born, lived, died, rose, ascended, sits. It's ongoing. Where he'll come again. And, and from that throne of the universe, he inspired a man named John to write the letter we call Revelation. Uh, the unfolding of the end. And if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, you'll know it's probably, it's a difficult book to read and interpret. There's many signs and symbols and, and just passages where you go, what, what's going on there? But the book of Revelation begins with seven letters. This is the first kind of, not chapter one, but chapters two and three begin with seven letters to seven different churches. And each of those churches was received this letter that was, it, it was written for them, like at that time. But careful readers, we, we, as we read them now today, we can see ourselves kind of in those same letters. The tendencies they had, we often have as well. And for all the difficulty of interpreting the rest of the book of Revelation, the letters at the beginning are relatively easy to read. And that's what makes them so difficult. We, okay, it's because we know what you're saying and it's challenging. I want to just read part of what is the letter to the church in Laodicea. It comes from Revelation chapter 3. If you want, you can turn there. It won't be on the screen. I'm just going to read a few verses. It's the last of the seven letters. Re- Revelation chapter 3. There's an ancient city called Laodicea, and this is the letter they received. And what, what's said to them pertains to what we've been talking about for 10 weeks, and I think what we talk about this morning as well. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the church in the city of Laodicea write... The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, the title of the person who's authoring it. Verse 15, he writes, or is told to write, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, for you say sort of, for you say about yourself, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Remember what I said, like, there's parts of the book of Revelation that are hard to read and we don't know what they mean. It's the parts that we do understand (laughs) that are harder to read in the book of Revelation because it's so pointed The letter goes on where Jesus is pictured as standing outside the church, knocking on her door, wanting to come in to eat with them. It's a sad picture, really. It's a hopeful one in many ways, too. But Jesus says this church sees itself as, quote, having great riches and acquire great wealth and and not needing a thing. But Jesus says, quote, you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, this letter to the church in Laodicea was written to help her see herself the way she really is, as needy. And you might say of our church, we have a bustling parking lot, talented musicians, growing number of church members, new converts to Christianity, a deepening of maturity of faith among many, outreach into new demographics, a strong savings account, and a bright future. And I think all those things are wonderfully true. We have so many things to be thankful for here at community. At least I I feel that way as a pastor. So thankful for so many things, especially in a year where it feels like so many things have been pruned away. 
feel so many things to be thankful for, but sometimes the blessings we see around us can cause us to forget that we too are needy. We've been talking for weeks about the idols that exhaust us and the Savior who won't. We've preached about the Savior who loves sinners, the sinners who are weary and heavy laden. We've preached about good news of gospel joy for the exhausted. We've talked about the amazing grace of God for the spiritually poor, crippled, blind, and lame. But the question I think that's before us this morning as we finish this sermon series is do we see ourselves as needy? Yes, the amazing grace of God is for the needy. And yes, there is a feast at the banquet at God's table for the hungry. But are we hungry? Or are we already full? Our passage this morning in Luke 14 is about a banquet and feasting. And these religious leaders, they've, they've invited Jesus, Jesus to their party. Just like many of us will invite others over for Thanksgiving or will be invited over to their place for Thanksgiving. Look at me at what Jesus has to say to the host of this Thanksgiving or feast, banquet. Luke 14 verses 12 through 14, the beginning of the passage we read again. And he, that is Jesus, said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, which is strange logic, right? For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Notice the passage begins, you can put your finger on it if you're holding the Bible there. He said to the man who invited him, Think how awkward that would have been. It's not as though Jesus kind of pulls his disciples aside and speaks in hushed tones at kind of a teachable moment, right? Kind of a parent, you pull aside your kid and say, okay, watch what's going on here. Jesus does that from time to time, but here, as we've seen him do week after week, he poked issues out in the open for the good of those who were listening. When I was in college, I, one summer I was an intern for an organization called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's, it's this kind of Bible study that they encourage to happen on co- or college or high school or middle, even middle school kind of campuses, student athletes. And I remember one slow afternoon late in the summer, building up back for school in the fall and I get this phone call and there's another young man on the other end of the phone and he calls and he's asking questions about our school and his Christian faith and the conversation started fine I guess but as it got going I began to get more and more uncomfortable he was asking about how to thrive at college with his faith and he was asking about the fraternity system and he was thinking about joining a fraternity but he didn't know what that was like and then he started asking about student government and if I knew anyone like say the president of the school and what about student athletes he said do you know any of them and would you be able to connect me with them and so that when I come in the fall I can talk with them. And the longer he kept going, I told him, I I do know a few student athletes, but I don't know the president of the school because we have 26,000 students here at school, and I don't know that person. But even if I did, I'm not sure I'd want to connect you to him. And it's possible I was totally misreading the situation. He could have just been an eager freshman, but I still, when I think about 
the scenario of being leapt over to get to someone else. Like it's this vivid illustration in my mind of what it's like not to be wanted or needed or talked to myself, but only in so much as I could pass them on to someone further up the kind of social chain and hierarchy. If you've ever experienced this, you know how wrong it feels to be used. Now, just for clarity, I I don't think Jesus' words in this passage about who we invite and who we don't invite means that we can't ever have our friends over for dinner. I I don't think so. I'm thankful uh, that it doesn't mean that. I enjoy being invited over to friend's house and and, and doing the reverse. But I'll tell you sort of why I think that. But I, I don't even think it means in kind of a social or business context, you can't look out and ever see someone that might help you and you might help them and, and, and to kind of single that out and have a, a lunch, a business lunch. I don't think it means you can't ever do that. I think if we push this to an extreme, it would become very strange. For example, let's say you have a rich neighbor who the pastor says you're not supposed to invite. But what if your rich neighbor is also blind who you're supposed to invite, then what do you do, right? <laughs> it's this awkward, okay, well, I'm supposed to invite you, but then I can't invite you, so I don't know what to do. So, um, like, well, okay, that would be strange. And then what if you started inviting the sorts of people you were supposed to have over to your house for dinner, and then they come over to your house, and you're like, I'm starting to really like these people. I feel like they're my friends. And now you're like, well, that was fun while it lasted, but I have to move on to other people, right? That would be just silly. Obviously, I think, I hope I can say, obviously, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Just later in the passage, beyond the part we're going to get, he uses kind of another extreme metaphor of, of our love for God should feel so strong that we even hate our mother and father and brothers and sisters. And like, he's not saying we should actually hate our mother, father, brother, sister. He's saying things in very stark language. But I do think he is asking the question, if we ever invite over people that can't repay us, he is asking at least that. And it would be easy at Thanksgiving to lay this on really thick, right? We could feel that weight pretty quickly. And maybe some of you have already been thinking, okay, there was these people I thought, man, I'd invite them for, but I didn't do it. And now I don't know, but maybe you do. And and that would be great. If there's extra people at your house for Thanksgiving, uh, whether they're blind or lame or whatever, like you don't have to do it, just, just people you wanted to invite and enjoy a meal together. That would be great. But if you pressed me, I tell you that who we invite to Thanksgiving or any meal or any feast is not the main point of this passage. I think inviting people to receive favor when they can't repay you is about reminding us of something we tend to forget. It's about what Jesus is after here is building into us the type of people that do something that continually reminds us of something we're prone to forget. I'll explain more. If we spend our lives giving to people who can't give back to us, then we become the sorts of people who are reminded of what God is always doing for us. In their culture of reciprocity, and payback and favors and owing one another, it was causing them to be unable to hear the gospel. And this becomes more and more clear as the passage goes on. Let me read verse 15. So after Jesus talks about who to invite and who not to invite, we read in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, 
Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he just blurts out this saying. All this talk of feasting and inviting guests and rewards in the kingdom of God caused this one very, I'll say, entitled feeling guest to blurt out what he did. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now the expected response would have been, we presume, something like raised glasses and people saying, hear, hear, and amen, and well said, brother. Because clearly this man assumes he'll eat bread in the kingdom of God. It reminds me of a sermon I heard once. I wasn't there. I just, I've seen the video of it. It's kind of become viral in this kind of sub-Christian culture of viral sermon videos, which is a very small subculture of viral videos. There's an asterisk by that. It's not viral in the normal sense of videos. But there's this sermon where this, this pastor's there and there's like this youth conference and there's 5,000 youth in this stadium. And, and the backstory is something to the effect that it was just kind of this culture of silliness and games, which isn't entirely wrong in, with youth leaders and, and whatnot. But it was this where it was only silliness and only laughter and only joy and no talk of sin, no talk of um, it, the gospel. It was just fun and games. And this preacher, this very serious preacher, he's starting to get animated and, and as preachers do sometimes. And at one point in the sermon, he began to say something like, those who are truly converted by God will begin to live lives that honor God. And he's getting animated and he says, a true Christian won't want to look like the latest pop star, but instead... He or she will be con- wanted to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the audience, as the speaker starts to get animated, they start to get animated too, and there's clapping and shouting of amens and applause. And you know what the preacher does next? A few of you do know. I've said it before, and a few of you may have seen this video. He steps forward to the end of the stage as they're clapping. And he says, I don't know why you're, ta- you're clapping. I'm talking to you. It's super awkward. You can just feel the energy, like the air sucked out of this stadium with 5,000 people. And he goes on to say, I didn't come here to get amens. I didn't come here to get applauded. I'm talking to you. In this passage, Jesus has just looked at the host of a party who has invited all of his rich friends, who he hopes one day will then invite him back to their houses and Jesus told the party, that, the host of the party, that's, that's not how Christians party. And in case it wasn't clear, then he goes on to tell a story, a parable. Verses 16 through 24, I'll read it again briefly or quickly. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first one said, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. Presumably there was this time gap. Verse 23, And the master said to the servant, Go out now to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. <laughs> 
For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now there's a question, an interpretive question, of where you put the quotation marks in verse 24. There's not quotation marks necessarily in the Greek original. And you don't know whether in verse 24, that's the end of the parable. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. As though that's the end of the parable. Or that's Jesus looking up from the parable, looking to those who are invited and saying, for none of these men who are invited will taste in my banquet. Regardless, you're probably not surprised, you wouldn't be surprised to learn that this is the last time the religious leaders invite Jesus to a dinner in the Gospels. <laughs> they never again, after Luke 24, invite him over to another meal. Big surprise. But let's talk about these excuses. These excuses aren't necessarily sinful in kind of obvious ways, right? They're more sinful in subtle ways. So, for example, no one says to the host of the party, I can't come because I've just killed someone and I need to go bury the body. Right? Like, like, whoa, uh, there's a lot going on right there, you know? Uh, no one's saying anything like that. They're saying something much more subtle. And each of these excuses, they, 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 they sort of indicate a certain, they're coming from a certain place of privilege and wealth. You, you can hear that by the types of excuses that they are. No one's saying, for example, thank you for the invitation, but your house is far away and I can't walk that far and the bus schedule doesn't bring me that far. At least it doesn't run by my house and your house quick enough so I can get to my third shift at the factory. Like that's not the type of excuse that's happening here. Instead, one guy buys a large field and he's got to go inspect it. Another buys five yoke of oxen and he needs to test drive them as though he hadn't done that before and another just got married. So a yoke was this kind of farming term where there was wood and rope and they harnessed two oxen together and they would plow a field together. And this guy's got five of them, which was sort of like saying, I just bought a combine, not a tractor, but a huge combine. It indicates something of the size of this man's field. He's got a big farm. And so what's going on in these excuses? I think it's a lot like that letter to the church in Laodicea. They think they have everything they need. So why would they waste their time attending some guy's party who can't help them climb higher on the social ladder because they're already as high as they feel like they need to be? In a society where every meal and every interaction and every relationship was a way to climb a ladder, if you see yourself as above someone else, you don't need to spend time with them. And doing that over and over and over again made them unable to hear the gospel. And Jesus looks at those at the party and says, you think you're rich and have acquired great wealth and you don't need a thing, but you do not realize that you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked apart from me. And so the parable goes on and the command is issued to just, just go out, leave, okay, leave the city, go to the suburbs, go to the rural territory, get as many people as you can. And when you've got everybody you think that can fit, there's still room for more. The invitation here, uh, the language that's used, the highways and the byways, kind of, there's different languages back in the King James kind of version of the Bible that's used there. They, some interpreters think this is to go out to the Gentile territories, meaning those who are kind of far from God, those who are pagans, go get them too and bring them in. 
What do you think the invitation might have sounded like? What might an invitation from Jesus sound like? I think it might sound a lot like the theme verse for our sermon series for the last 10 weeks. The words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've said a few of these things before, but I just want to end our sermon series one more time saying them again. When Jesus says, come to me, he says, come to me. When we come to our Savior, we don't come primarily to a doctrine or some abstract notion of truth. We come to a person. We come to the person of grace and truth. And you might think that the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who rules all things, would say, Come to me, you who have your act together. Come to me, you who have man hours to give. Come to me, you who have achieved and overcome. Come to me because you can help me. But that's not who Jesus invites. He invites the helpless, the dependent. He invites the weary and heavy laden. Just think about those two words, that phrase. To be weary is to be engaged in something exhausting. Likely it's self-inflicted. And and not necessarily for bad reasons. Life is just hard. It's to be weary. To be heavy laden is to to be put upon. It's like a donkey and you're just loaded down with burdens. And you didn't ask for them, but there they are. To both groups, Jesus says, come to me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Your sin and your shame and your weakness and your idolatry are the very things he wants. You may think that when you have your act together, however you might envision that like perfect spiritual life, what it means to follow God with your whole heart, you might think that whenever you achieve that spiritual perfection moment just for a sliver of time, that's when you're most invited to feast with Jesus. And if you think that, you'd be wrong. Jesus bids you come before you're better, before you have your problem fixed, when your sin stinks like rotten garbage. The invitation of Jesus he describes here as a yoke. Imagine being strapped to a, a, a real oxen. <laughs> We'd be exhausted, uh, worked to death in, a, in an afternoon. Jesus invites you to be yoked to him, wood and rope and harness. I, I think that's a metaphor for faith. And he calls that arrangement light, easy. We would say good news. For all that's been preached here over the last few months and for all that will ever be preached here in the future, what I really want you to know is that God loves you. And the love of Christ is for you if you know you need him. I invite the music team to come back up and as we pray, we'll participate in communion together. They're gonna lead us in Two more songs. And just during that first song, it's an old hymn about the invitation of Jesus. Just use it as a time of reflection. Time to think in ways perhaps that you feel weary. Perhaps ways that you feel heavy laden. Use it as a time to give your need to God and receive his grace. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that, Lord, we can bring to you whatever struggle is, feels most pressing in our lives. We can lay it at your feet again and again and again without, without the fear of being scolded for misusing your grace last time and the time before that and the time before that. We thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.